We didn't even like test our microphones. No, I think Andrew's just like, yeah, I know. I just love that he's preset my percussion. Yes. He's my egg shaker. Here are my finger symbols. I love, I love that your finger symbols are there and we don't even really have a meaning for them yet. He's really determined that I will find a place for yeah. them. Okay. Well, yeah. let, maybe today's the day. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love it if you like egg shaked your reaction to like the finger symbol action. <laughs> No. Or something like that. Ruth, I'm not that clever. Also, no. I love percussion. Yeah, me too. Hi, Ruth. Hey, Josephine. How are you today? Yeah, pretty good. The sun is shining. Yes, I didn't realise... Um, until this afternoon that the sun was shining. You've been inside of school all day. Been inside of school all day. It's lovely. It's yeah. one thing, um, so like living in London, the thing I really couldn't handle. Lack of sun. Was the lack of sun. It's it's something that like you can talk about here from Australia and we can talk about it academically, but until you've experienced it, yeah. it is so Like seasonal awful. affective disorder is such so common over there yeah. and, and yeah. such a thing and it's – we don't realise, like, yeah, yeah, it gets cold here in winter. I mean, not as cold Not as really, there. yeah. But but it's that the sun is still shining most days. And for like a long time in yeah. the day. The daylight's not, you know, six hours long. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how you people do it. I know. Yeah. London's a fantastic city in a lot of ways, but I think that the weather. It's awful. It was honestly the thing that I found the hardest living there. I just remember like there being a time when I thought there's never going, the road is never going to be like dry. When I come out to walk in the morning, yeah. like there's always, it's always rained and there's like never, it's just never not gray. Like, yeah. and you, after a while, and that's what seasonal affective disorder really is, is like you think, oh, the world is now gray that's forever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Cause that's what it seems like. People have like vitamin D lamps and stuff. God, it's yeah. an awful place. Sorry. It is. <laughs> ah, well, anyway, here we are. This we is are. my favorite musical. The podcast. The podcast. Do you know what episode we're up to today? Is it 11? It's no, 12. 12. <laughs> I can't count. Look, she's bad at numbers, guys. She's good at other things. I'm actually really good at numbers. Oh, come on. I'm good <laughs> no, at you spreadsheets. Are. <laughs> you are very good at numbers. Yeah. I'm trash at numbers. But it's because on my little piece of paper I've written episode 12. That's why I Have knew. you? I don't yeah. number mine. Well, gosh. My file name is numbered, just not the actual piece of paper. That's not like you. You're so organised. Like you're so highly yeah. strung about organisation. I think I'm going to add it from next I week. Think you now that you've identified this weakness in my system. <laughs> well, I'm going to quiz you. I need to rectify it. You do. You do indeed. Um, do you have any apologies to make, Ruth? I don't. Oh. I don't think so. I have one sort of on your behalf, sort of on my behalf. Okay. This is coming from my husband who was listening to one of the mixtape episodes this morning and he said, and I don't actually know if he is correct, Yeah. but he said he thinks that we favour songs sung by men overwhelmingly. I think that that is definitely true about me. I think it's true about me too. But what he actually said was like, I, I'm not sure if that's indicative of you and your taste or if musicals are skewed towards men and the songs that are the best in the musicals or that are written to mm. be the showstoppers. Like obviously we know it's a, it's a man's world, boo. But he was actually, he thought maybe the whole point was that 
Yeah, it's a man's musical oh, theatre like world. It's, it's the patriarchy rather yeah. than us. It's he seemed to think it was – I think – I don't know if he was saying that to soften the blow because he was <laughs> you know criticising my podcast. You know the other thing I think? <laughs> <laughs> you know the other thing I think is that especially when we're talking about like standalone songs by women is <coughs> that because there are so many more like female musical theatre performers, are, yeah. you, are you egg shakering your cough? I'm thinking about it. Okay. I'm trying to lean to get my water bottle ah. so far away. <laughs> what was I thinking? Um Basically, I also think that it's that the, the female songs we hear so often like done in concerts and done in because there's just like disproportionately more women yeah. singing them. So many women. And they're the songs that become like trite, right? Like they're the songs that everyone does. Do you know what though? Also, even in popular music, I prefer the male voice to listen mm. to. And I don't know whether it's I'm a singer myself and so I don't really like to listen to voices that are similar to mine. Yeah. Like it, maybe it's something about the pitch of female voices that I don't find enjoyable to listen to all the time. I do have female artists that I love, but overwhelmingly the artists that I enjoy are male. Yeah. Like I would say I love both, but I will say that, yeah, when we're picking favorite favourites. Yeah, it's usually males. It does tend to be men. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, just, it's like, like, and again, I think it might be a little bit of our like inbuilt patriarchy um, going sexism, on, but it's yeah. like, I'm more impressed when a man does something for, like amazing in a musical than I am. Like I've seen. That's definitely I the patriarchy. I know so many Ruth. more amazing. Fuck you, patriarchy. <laughs> I know so many more amazing female musical theatre performers, and yet, oh yeah, it's but like, like it's more be... impressive to me when a when a man hits a B than it is when a woman hits a massive belt note. Yeah, that's sad. I'm sad for you. Me too. <laughs> I'm sad for the indoctrinated um, that's right. musical theatre upbringing that I've had. Hey, um, I don't know what's different about today, but I'm looking at you, but all I can see is one eye. <laughs> I think like I could just see one I've eye. I've got like a music stand in front of me, and um, I'm for some reason you look like it, the fan. Of the opera. <laughs> well, in many ways. Oh, yes, indeed. Okay, so. Some horrible disfigurement as well. You are horribly disfigured. True. <laughs> um, do you have a spotlight for today? Yes. So, um, when we're talking on our little artists of colour spotlight, musical theatre artists of colour, I wanted to talk about um, a new group that's been started recently called Black Theatre United. So basically they're a new coalition of um, those in the theatre industry in America specifically. Um, And the idea of the coalition is to inspire industry-wide reform and to combat industry-wide systemic racism. So some of the founding members include, you know, many names you will have heard, especially in the music theatre, but, you know, just a handful of them are like Audra McDonald, LaShans, Vanessa Williams, Billy Mm. Porter, Norm Lewis, and like many, many more. Yeah. Um, And that's just like the founding members kind of thing. So is it all performers? Um, So no, it is. It's like directors and stage managers. Like it's all people working in the industry, but obviously the performers have like, I guess, a bit of a wider voice and reach so they're the names um and so their first major initiatives at the moment are focusing on the 2020 census in america and basically ensuring that minority communities are representative are represented in that census i've actually been hearing a lot about that recently and how the census is so important in terms of what drives funding in that country yes and it's it's really like it's really badly filled out basically. Yeah. So my only knowledge of it is through the West Wing, as is all my knowledge <laughs> yes. of American politics. I feel that's a, a holistic approach. Yeah. But there's a lot of argument in the States that the census is unconstitutional. So there's a lot of there's a lot of um, pushback that they get from census. Yeah. This is this was circa two thousand whatever. Yeah. From the West Wing. Yeah, so it could be totally wrong, now. but yeah. Well, um someone who speaks about it a lot is Stacey Abrams. Mm. Um and she's from uh oh God, I'm I'm going to get the state wrong. Alabama? 
George, oh God, I'm going to get the state wrong. Sorry. But she is a um, senator from that state. I'm sorry. I don't know my American geography well enough. Is it the South? Is that what you're it's trying to get the to? Okay, right. It's definitely the South. Yep. And um, uh, yeah, she's really about like the right to vote and like a fair fair access to voting and things like that. Oh, but their voting system's um, far. But she's also considered to be like one of the, t- I mean, who knows, like this will date itself pretty quickly, but I believe she's one of the top vice president picks for Joe, Joe Biden. Really? Yeah. Um, and yeah, so she's super involved in the um, in the census fight, and also yeah, in the in the fight for fair access to voting. Is it, it Georgia? Is Georgia. Georgia. Yeah. Yeah. yeah damn Georgia. It. Um, so the and Georgia. in terms of their theatre initiatives that they're focusing on, it's basically the formation of an inquiry committee to assess past practices in the industry, as well as the development of mentorship, scholarship, and internship opportunities for black youth. That's great. But yeah, I mean, they'll obviously have a lot of reach in terms of uh, the fans and everything like that. So hopefully they can make some big strides there. Yeah, that's a huge yeah. deal. That's so they're really called awesome. Black Theatre United, you know, follow them on nice everything. That's really cool. Did you hear, this isn't my spotlight, but did you hear the Darlinghurst Theatre's announcement recently? I did. Um, which I think the commitment was 50% of their um, personnel yeah. would be Indigenous or First Nations people, yeah. right? Yeah. I think um, basically people of colour. People of colour, Yeah, right. so okay. like including, I think like, people who Islanders don't have English or, as their first language. Yep. Yeah. So wow. yeah. That's, it's a huge, that's a huge deal. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff's I actually happening. went to university with, um, uh, Amelia, who's the, um, co-artistic director. And yeah. Executive nice. Director there. Yeah. She was quite articulate. I yeah, thought about she's that. She's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So my spotlight today is a little different. Ooh. I've have, today I'm going to spotlight an Australian. So let's talk about Jimmy Chai. Excellent. He is a playwright, composer, musician from Broome in Western Australia originally. He wrote the musicals Corrugation Road and the hugely popular Brand New Day, which um, Australian listeners will have heard of, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, so Brand New Day is actually the first Aboriginal musical. Yeah, wow. Yeah, and it has, since its 1990 sort of premiere, it's been turned into a movie and it's enjoyed a recent National Australian tour. So Jimmy Chai was awarded the Drama Award for Brand New Day by the Human Rights and Equal Opportunity Commission Um which is awesome. So while these works like Corrugation Road and Brand New Day are sort of getting, they're becoming more and more celebrated, Jimmy Chai tragically died in 2017 and there was a coronial inquest into his death Wow! that actually found that he did not have access to an appropriate health facility when he died. Wow. Which, so this sort of highlights that a, a very serious issue amongst our Indigenous community in Australia in terms of access to proper health care um, and so what, basically the inquest found that a facility that could meet his physical, mental, spiritual and cultural health needs just doesn't exist in the area surrounding Broome. Mm. And because like he could have travelled, say, to Perth for care, but it's, it's very important to him as an Indigenous man to like to culturally and spiritually like remain in, in his, his community. Home, right? yeah. yeah. And that, that's very important. Like place is super important. Yeah. So it, it's just an interesting point that he – is someone I suppose who um, probably people don't know his name. I would say, mm. he, but he wrote Knuckles. a musical. He's known as Knuckles as well, right? Is that right? Cuckles is the name of okay. the um, band that okay, he was part maybe of. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, of. yeah. So he, in conjunction with his band at the time, who have since obviously disbanded, um, wrote Brand New Day. Yeah. Right. Okay. And it's so oh, it's actually it was a band. Okay. Yeah. It's it's sort of like a semi autobiographical story about yeah. his own sort of like leaving sort of his area and then realizing that 
that home and place is so important to him yeah. as an Aboriginal man. So Brand New Day is pretty well known, but I don't think he is very well known or celebrated. No. And it's, it's so uh, it's so sad that he had to die in a way where like now the coroner's found it, you know, that he didn't have proper access. Yeah. So, anyway, it's pretty tragic. But I thought um, I would read you a pretty famous lyric from Brand New Day. Yeah. Um, there's nothing I would rather be than to be an Aborigine and watch you take my precious land away for nothing gives me greater joy than to watch you fill each girl and boy with superficial existential shit. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, you can watch the movie or listen to the movie soundtrack yeah, on Spotify. Yeah, definitely watch the film. It's it's delightful and it's so – I really do recommend it. It's very clever. Like just if you – just from that lyric itself, it's it's very tongue-in-cheek. The music is delightful but the message is so strong and so important. Um, yeah, that's Jimmy Chai, really tragic but um, he struggled with sort of mental health his yeah. whole life and, and that's sort of an ongoing theme with our Indigenous communities that um, we just haven't provided them with the right care. Yeah. Really S- tragically. Sadly, so that – I saw that national tour. It was at Riverside Yeah, it was Theater at Parramatta. Parramatta. Yeah. Um, and I think it went to Perth. And then when COVID hit, it was in between seasons. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, the rest of the national tour was cancelled yeah. because of COVID. It was due to basically go all over Australia, including like a return season in Sydney. How and awesome. Yeah. yeah um, you know, a season in Melbourne, like lots of like proper um, Yeah, it's seasons. a shame that because it really started sort of early in, 2000, in 2020. So it yeah. just wasn't really going to get, yeah. And that was, did COVID. you say it was written in 1990? 1990. Yeah, so yeah. it was like the 30th anniversary tour. That was yeah. sort of the point. Yeah. It, even like um, Jimmy Chai and particularly Brand New Day was sort of responsible for almost founding the Black Swan Theatre Company, which is That's sort of right. like WA's. It is, yeah. It's, it's, it's their, their state, state theatre company. Or, or this, yes. No, it is, yeah. And there's the State Theatre Company of... Western Australia. Oh, that's South Australia. Sorry, I'm yeah. confused. Yeah. So it is. He, the, he was quite, state that's one, right. So yeah. he was quite instrumental in sort of its its inception and, and Brand New Day was one of their first productions. Yeah, they, they ever do put amazing on. stuff. Yeah. So they also um, mounted um, Corrugation Road as well, his other okay. musical. Yeah. But he wrote like he, he wrote the music lyrics book, you know, for Brand New Day. He's yeah. Very talented man. Yeah. So yeah, that's Jimmy Chai. I do recommend you check out his stuff. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I know when um, when Josephine and I were talking about, you know, wanting to highlight artists of colour in musical theatre, um, it is really hard being Australians to try and think of actual examples of this yes. because I would say that in terms of the, the art that is being done by people of colour in this country, I mean the musical theatre industry is not fostered no. for anyone. For anyone. So yeah. therefore it's especially not fostered for people of colour. Yeah. I mean I would say that um, like Aboriginal dance has quite a, a strong place in our performing arts community. Certainly. Um, Indigenous dance and also to a lesser extent I would say some form of like Indigenous um, just theatre making in general. like. Yeah. You know, if you would consider that to be plays, I mm. guess is the t- the term that you would use. But more like performance, performance art, art, really, yeah, yeah piece, you know, performance pieces. But yeah, in particular, I mean, music. I mean, like, you know, the sad thing is, like, even for us to cover an Australian musical as one of our favourite musicals would be tricky. Because it would be tricky. Yeah, they just. They just don't exist nearly to the extent that they should. No, like off the top of my head, I could think of maybe five or six. Yeah, and most of them are jukebox shows. Yeah. Like they're not, they're not original oh, I'm not, musicals. I'm not thinking of that monstrosity. <laughs> I don't know which one you're talking about, oh, but there's lots of there's them. There's lots of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Priscilla. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Theatre Explained. Ruth, All what right. have you got for us? 
So this week we're talking about the music department, basically. Yeah. The music department on a show. And we wanted to talk about the difference between the different roles, particularly on like a high level show, like a Broadway show would have. Yeah, when you have multiple people in the music department. Yeah, because obviously if you're just doing community theatre, you would basically just have the musical director Hmm. and maybe an assistant musical director and the orchestra and that's probably it. But especially when we're talking about original musicals, um, there's lots more people involved. Hmm. Um, And sometimes these roles are done by the same person person yeah, or like they do there's crossover yeah. depending on the but sometimes they're all different people so um specifically the ones that uh we were sort of talking about is difference between a musical director the orchestrator and the arranger nice yeah i've also written a couple of others as well oh there's plenty of other jobs yeah <laughs> yeah um yeah why don't you start us off well so the md is really the person responsible for how the how the music comes together in the context of performing the show so like not i would say like the arranger and the orchestrator are more involved in in the actual creation of yeah what the orchestra the and score, the people yeah. yeah so like the orchestrator is the person who literally would write down what yeah. the orchestra are playing a literal physical score yeah like a fit- yeah. yeah so here's the sheet music that the orchestrator has made yeah. of this show and the md is usually the person who is in charge of like implementing that in terms of the arranger though I feel like that's more for like revivals yeah so an arranger um the way I've sort of you know understood it is that like not every show will have an arranger because it depends on how the composer writes the music but like let's say like let's say they've just a composer has just written a melody yeah um then an arranger would literally like work out what the chords Flesh are it out, yeah, yeah like like yeah. like work out what the physical music is that's being mm. played but literally just the the piano vocal basically right yeah yeah because then um, the orchestrator comes in and like beats correct. it up yeah. and then so that's different so the orchestrator then comes in and and works out you know well, okay, well they've already probably worked out what doing. the orchestra is yes. yeah like who's physically playing and then yeah. yeah orchestrating the entire thing writing it out for all those different instruments yeah and now the md sometimes will also like conduct the orchestra yeah well most of the most time. of the time yeah. but not always um that might not be a particular skill the md has like usually your md is also in charge of like the vocals and what the yeah. actors on stage are singing or you know all of those sorts of things harmonies um But, yes, sometimes also the conductor. But that could be a separate job too. Yeah. And then um, obviously within a ranger there's also like often a vocal arranger or a dance Mm. arranger Um, and – Obviously, because vocal arrangements kind of a whole nother oh yeah, that's a bag of tricks, you know, like set. knowing what vocal harmonies are going to sound good together, yeah, and, that sort and of thing. voice types and how they work exactly. and their ranges, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then the only other one that I think is sort of important um, that's kind of all wrapped up in there is the copyist. Mm, nice. So um, a copyist is the person who basically takes the master score that the orchestrator creates, and then creates the individual scores for each instrument. Yeah. So if you imagine the orchestration is everything, it's all 26 Parts. instruments in one. Yes. And But then the thing is that when you're creating an individual score, you need to be aware of things like where page turns are, mm. where, you know, like, and you might discover the, um, you know, one instrument actually it shouldn't be doing this note or whatever. Yeah, this you know, it's not this natural sense for, for the person note. playing that instrument, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So the copies is quite important. And also if you are doing like a revival, for example, or something like that, and you want to change keys, mm. that sort of thing, like a copyist would be in charge of then taking that and changing all the keys for yeah. everyone. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of jobs there. Yeah, a lot of jobs. There's yeah. more than just, I mean, there's the rehearsal pianist yeah, as well. Yeah, that's right. There's associate and assistant musical directors who kind of have their own. Very specific jobs. Yeah. But it's the same behind the scenes. Like I'd like to get to the stage where we talk about stage 
managers and yeah, assistant exactly. stage managers and production stage managers on yes. Broadway in particular. It's quite a different job. Yeah, and they have very specific company roles. management. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. we'll get there. Um, I mean, for example, there's also like like Andrew, my husband, has done keyboard programming, for example, on yeah. a few shows where it's creating like the synth tracks and mm. things like that. That specifically, which is, so specific. which is kind of like almost like a technology based. Mm. You know, yeah, it's yeah. interesting. There's lots of roles, and that's more like a design role almost. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, lots of these. I mean, lots of these are much more creative than yeah the sort than of just they would be totally there's but, a lot of creatives yeah involved. Exactly, exactly well that has been theater explained indeed do you Yay. have any oh wait wait i know what i could do oh theater explained here we go here we go well it's music based this week it's perfect exactly lovely this is just for andrew <laughs> Do you have any content recommendations for us? This do you know, week? I actually do because um, I finally jumped on the bandwagon of Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. Mm. I watched it. I haven't watched it. Well, so far, I'm only one episode in, so I've only watched the pilot. I actually really, really like I it. I love Skylar Aston, though. Yes. I'm very attracted to Skylar Aston. You would be. Actually, he's totally exactly yeah. what I imagine you would be attracted to. Um, so far, I really, really like it. It's yeah. on Stan. Um, it's a musical TV show. It's quite delightful. It's basically about a girl who has the ability to hear people's thoughts through the medium of song and dance, which is pretty cool. Alex Newell is in it. Oh, great. So, yay, because um, we love him. It's pretty much the opening scene of La La Land, but if that was actually good. Okay. So, you know that opening scene where they're, like, stuck in a traffic jam yeah. and it's the worst thing you've ever seen. Yeah. And it's, like, a clusterfuck. Well, this TV show is, I like, disagree that's the worst thing I've ever seen, but go on. Just let me. Let me be, let me let me hate this. This show so far is like what it, that scene should have been from La La Land. Uh. But my only complaint so far is that because it's like normal people on the street. It actually reminds me of the Buffy musical episode because it's like normal people on the street singing and dancing. My only complaint so far is that they've taken it too far trying to be realistic that normal people are singing, that some of the arrangements don't have the sort of vocal harmonies that I might want right. them to have. So like the first number the whole chorus sings is help by the Beatles, yeah. but there's not really any mad harmonies in there, ah. which is just like I get that these are ordinary people and they probably don't know how to sing in harmony, but still like. I don't think that's the point when you're breaking that Exactly, like, Exactly. Yeah. It's still a musical TV show. Or is that just is that just them being lazy? I don't know. Well, I'm hoping like this, I'm only in the first episode, yeah. so maybe it will improve. So, yeah, I, I get it. I don't think it's necessary to do that if that's a choice that they've made, but that's my only complaint. Otherwise, it's delightful. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm keen to watch. You should. Yeah. What's your recommendation? Um, I've got a couple of random ones this week. Good. Um, the first one's a blog. Oh, do they still exist? Well, a website. I don't know what you <laughs> want to call it. I've actually been reading this website for years and years and years, this blog. Um, it's called The Producer's Perspective. And it's... Nerd. <laughs> it's uh, Broadway producer Ken Davenport um, has this That's blog. That's the whitest name I've ever heard. <laughs> it's actually he's Jewish, um, but he he changed his last name. Yeah, it's, I think I think at some stage, yeah, like Doris Day. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he. Uh, yeah, he's a Broadway producer. He produced that most recent revival of Once on This Island. Oh, nice. Which I think they won the Tony for Best, Best Revival. Best Revival, yeah, they did. so he won that. Um, he was a producer on Kinky Boots. Like he's been producing for years. And 
And he's got he's a He's been writing this blog about producing on Broadway for years and years and years. Um, there's now like an accompanying podcast where he interviews different people in the theatre. Oh, I have seen that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I haven't listened, but I've. And, um, but particularly the blog, like, like he doesn't write on it as much as he used to. It used to be a really big, a really big thing. Oh, he's thing. pretty busy. Um, but yeah, it's really great. It's just like theproducersperspective.com. Cool. Um, and yeah, have a read. I mean, just go back through and read some of the old. He's been writing a lot about like taking surveys and stuff about what it will take for audiences to come back mm. post COVID. And yeah, that's he, really cool. He's always got interesting insights. Yeah. Lots of like, they get his staff to like pull data and be like, what is it that really makes a best musical Tony winner and things like this. That's cool. I love all that. I'm going to go stuff. to that site. Yeah, definitely. Um, and my other one is another podcast. Ready. Um, which is, uh, like I feel like there's not that many Australian musical theatre podcasts, um, but nice. this is an excellent one um, that is called Every Musical Ever and it is Richard Carroll. Yes, it's back. So Richard Carroll, who's a director and producer, he works at the Haste. He's on the board of the Haste Theatre and he works there a lot. Um, he did, I think, like however many episodes, like a year and a half ago. You mentioned in one of our very early Did episodes. I? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and he basically gets like someone different on. It's always him and then he gets someone different on every episode to talk about that show. Yeah, cool. Um, and often it's because they have some sort of link to that show. Mm. Um, so definitely go back and listen to the old episodes. They're really worth listening to. But, yeah, he's back. He's got a Yay. new season. I love his logo. Yes, it's great. Isn't it cool? It's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, he's got a new season. Have a listen. And um, it's always really good quality stuff. I really love his work as a director and producer. Yes. So Yeah, he's yeah. a good good voice to hear from. Yeah, exactly. Oh, cool beans. Yeah. Well, do you want to talk about musicals? Sure. Who's first this week? I don't remember. I don't either. What did we do last week? Oh, God, that's terrible. I did Songs for a New World. Oh, I went oh, last. Yes. I, it's me first. It's you first. Okay, today. Are you ready? You're yeah. gonna you're gonna fall off your chair. I'm gonna talk about a Jonathan Larson musical. Ooh. It's Tick Tick Boom. Love that's right. This is Jonathan Larson's best work. <laughs> it actually really, really is. I just want to stop you before you go any further. <laughs> you realize that the version that we know. I'm about to say that. Okay. <laughs> Calm down. So I've always loved this musical. Like and that's been consistent. So unlike Rent, which as we know, I'm not a fan of now. I did used to love Rent. I really did when I was a teenager. But Tick, Tick, Boom has main, has remained in my favour mm. this whole time. And I've, I've actually have done a lot of soul searching and meditating this week on why. And I think I figured it out. So okay. I dived in pretty deep with the research. So I realised that the reason I love it is actually because it's the story of an artist having a crisis about being an artist. And it's that's pretty relevant to me. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people who are listening to this podcast yeah. right now, it's sort of the classic question of like, do you pursue what you love and what you're passionate about or do you choose safety and and like a steady job? Yeah. So it's also really sort of the story of Sunday in the Park with George and we all know that's my number one musical ever. Yes. Larson, he pays pretty intense homage to Sondheim throughout this show and I'll go into exactly how he does. So – Obviously, I'm going to love it. Like it's pretty – It's it, he's tipping his hat to Sondheim, it feels like, in every sentence of this musical. So that's why I love it. I, I love the themes. It really sits nicely with me. You know, it is me. That's how I feel all the time. So plot. This is autobiographical, this musical. 
after he died, Jonathan Larson's father clarified that that it was really his the story of his life and yeah. how he was feeling. The very basic plot of the show we currently know now, and I'll get into that, is that Jonathan, also called John, is an aspiring composer who lives in New York City. It's 1990. Um, he's about to turn 30, so it's it's like his 30th birthday is the main sort of event of the show, and he's like incredibly anxious about his future and whether being an artist is the right choice for him. There's like an ongoing sort of metaphor of a ticking clock that plays throughout the show to sort of represent his anxiety and and sort Mm. of time, you know, passing. And yeah, so the show as we know it now didn't really develop until after Larson's death. So the show that we have today isn't the original show that he came up with. Um, It was originally a solo work that he began performing in 1990. He actually called it a rock monologue, which I love. I love that. Yeah, it's really cool. At the time, there weren't really any rock monologues. Yeah. Um, so that's a really cool name for it. So some background. It was first performed off-off-Broadway um, in September 1990 in a workshop at Second Stage Theatre and it had a different title. It was under the title Boho Days. Um, it was then re- revised and renamed to Tick, comma, Tick, Ellipsis, Boom, exclamation point. That's what the name is now. And the tick tick is um, their lowercase. <laughs> That's important. Um, so once it was renamed to Tick Tick Boom, it was performed at Village Gate 91. Um, and then later in 92 and 93 in the O Solo Mio Festival at um, the New York Theatre Workshop. So he performed it like four or five times in different venues and, mm. and so different iterations of the show um, right up until 93 and then he sort of got really stuck into Rent. Right. Because like Rent was sort of happening at the same time but then he that really sort of took off and so he focused on Rent and this just sort of fell by the wayside really. Um, then, as we know, Jonathan Larson tragically died in 1996 so then his friend and sort of longtime collaborator, I think they went to college together, her name is um, Victoria Leacock, approached a playwright, David Auburn, to take another look at Tick, Tick, Boom and rework it. So yeah. basically then David Auburn, he's this playwright who's um, best known for the play Proof, which won I think the Pulitzer for Drama and the yeah, Tony Award for Best I think Play. You're right. Like it was very celebrated. That was around 2001 though. So yeah. like – this is sort of um, before that. But so he was um, he was asked to come in and have a look at Tick, Tick, Boom and he just fully restructured the whole thing. Mm. What he did was he um, he turned what was a monologue into a three-piece. So it's three actors now in Tick, Tick, Boom. So there's one actor playing John and the other two actors play primarily Michael and Susan but also lots of other characters throughout the show. Like they play multiple different roles. Yeah. Um, their main characters are Michael and Susan. Michael's a friend of John's and Susan is my, um, John's girlfriend. So this revised version of the piece then premiered off-Broadway at the Jane Street Theatre in May in 2001 and Auburn ended up receiving a credit as a script consultant. Okay. I don't know in terms of royalties what would happen there but I imagine that he well, would definitely. Well, he probably have some. Yeah, there'd be something. There'd be some arrangement specifically with the Larson estate. Yeah, for yeah. sure because, I mean, he really did rework what was like all the content was there, but he you know changed who was actually performing it. So here's the story. Um, 
like so John's having this crisis his friend Michael sort of gave up his gave up an acting career to pursue like a lucrative executive career I think he's mm. like a, I don't know some he's sort of banker maybe yeah. oh what, what is he? he I thought he's in advertising for some oh reason. advertising yeah maybe know. in my head that's what he's in that's fine <laughs> it's lucrative whatever it is yeah. um <laughs> there's money <laughs> there's money not like art <laughs> John's um girlfriend Susan wants to sort of like get married and have kids she's a dance teacher and she's just sort of sick of the rat race and she's sick of him like just you know being a starving artist because he's like a waiter at a diner and you know not going anywhere she reckons so John's under the pump a little bit during the show and in the musical in Tick Tick Boom he's written a musical called Superbia which is about to go to workshop like in the in the context of the play so you get this nice like musical within a musical sort of um there are so many beautiful moments in this show like, would you agree with that? Oh, I love this show. Yeah, right? Yeah. It's so good. Particularly, so what I love, and I've already mentioned this, the references to Sondheim. Yeah. That's where it's at for me. So there's this ongoing reference to a composer so great that his name cannot even be uttered out loud. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, that's Stephen Sondheim, as we all know. Um, the song Sunday in Tick, Tick, Boom is a very clear homage to Sunday from Sunday in the Park with George. Um, although the message is actually completely inverted and I didn't really realise this until I was listening to it. So in Sunday and Sunday the Park with George, it's like the culmination of George's creation of the painting and so it's like everything good and pure about art coming together and working for the artist and the artist feeling a great sense of satisfaction. But in Tick, Tick, Boom, Sunday is literally set in a diner. It's like a really busy Sunday where John has to work and he's like being, you know, bombarded by customers asking stupid questions and he feels so trapped and so the whole idea of what Sunday means in Sunday in the Park is completely tipped on its head in Tick Tick Boom. Yeah interesting. Which is really cool I hadn't considered that. Um, so you know there's also of course there's more. Um, <laughs> the song Johnny Can't Decide yeah. is also paying homage to Lesson 8 from Sunday in the Park with oh. George because all the characters refer to themselves in the third person. Okay. Um, yeah George's found a hat. Yes, yeah. Yeah, anyway. Um, the show also centres on a birthday as its pivotal moment, just like Company. Mm. So in Company, as I've already talked about, it's Bobby's 35th birthday. Well, here in, in Tick, Tick, Boom, it's John's 30th birthday. Also like Company, the birthday is all about like making a decision and growing up and, you know, coming to some sort of like important yeah. point in your life. And I also think this might be tenuous and you can disagree if you want. I think there's a bit of a link between this and Merrily. Merrily we roll along that is because like it's – even though Merrily isn't a three-hander, it feels like a three-hander. Yeah, yeah. Like it's definitely about like the friendship between the three of them Yeah, and, and it, you know, they're the primary sort of focus. And but also like they're two men all, and, a wi- and a woman. Yeah, and they're like they're all creative. Yeah. I know that that's not originally what Larson intended but it feels like – it feels like it can't be just a fluke that it turned out a little yeah. bit similar to Merrily. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was really interesting how much. Many parallels there were, yeah. So many parallels with Sondheim, which makes me very happy. Um, so productions, it's actually been so many cool productions of Tick, Tick, Boom, which I didn't realise. Mm. I think now I think about it, it's probably just that it's really easy to mount. Like it's a simple For show. Sure. It's only three actors. There's barely any set. Like it's not talking of the haze. It would be perfect for the haze. It would be perfect for the haze. Yeah, I'm even like they done it there. Oh, I totally agree. Even like you don't need you don't need an orchestra. It's just a band. Yeah, it's a proper rock show. Yeah, but with three actors, and yeah, yeah. like no set. You could do it so sparse. Anyway, so 
The Off-Broadway production is the best known. That one opened in May 2001 and it closed in January 2002. So it had a pretty decent run. Yeah. It was also recorded. So there is a cast recording. Bloody Spotify doesn't have it. Yes, I will once again bring everyone's attention to the fact that Spotify I, trash. I every now and then write to record companies. Well, it's not. I don't blame Spotify. No, I blame no. the record company. Yes, but I have written to record companies about the fact that they don't publish certain cast recordings. It's so distressing. Not just on Spotify, but like you also can't buy it on Apple. Like yeah. you can't buy it on iTunes in Australia so either. So riddle me this, because you can't get the original cast recording of Sunday in the Park with George on Spotify now, but you used to be able to. Well, yeah, that someone's like, made a decision. That? I can't answer that for you. It's it's a bad but decision. But it's ridiculous. Yes. It's actually so upsetting when I want to listen to Finishing the Hat and I have to listen to Jake Gyllenhaal do it. <laughs> like that's a, that's distressing. Like I know you love Mandy but I also love Jake. Oh, yeah, but he's – that's not – I know. It's not the same. It's not the same. It's and not. also like Mandy sings the shit out of that song. He sure does. Oh, Mandy. Okay, sorry. Back to Tick, Tick, Boom. <laughs> you can go to YouTube and listen to the original off-Broadway cast recording of Tick, Tick, Boom featuring – Sweet, sweet, Raul Esparza. Raul Esparza. Oh, I love him so much. So much, right? I love that he also, now that I know the correlation between company and Tick Tick, because he played Bobby in company yeah. as well and he played John in Tick And he's tick, like tick, the biggest Sondheim nerd as well. Such a Sondheim yeah. nerd. So this would have totally sat with him, but he is so good as John. Yeah. Honestly, ugh. He's perfect. I want him to come back to Broadway so badly. Why has he left? I think he has like five Tony nominations and has never won. That's rude. Something ridiculous like That's that. That's crazy. It's so rude. It's so rude that he didn't win as Bobby. He was so good as Bobby. Yeah. I wonder who won that year. I know. Keep what? talking. Yeah, you keep talking and find out. That's 2006, I think. Would have been. Seven. Was it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so that particular off-Broadway cast also featured Jerry Dixon as Michael, who I don't really know much about. No, I think he I think he was quite active in musical theatre then, but, yeah. you know, not so much. Probably now. not so much. And Amy Spanger as Susan. Who I love. Yeah, you love Because she's her. on my favourite, The Wedding Singer. Yeah, you love The Wedding <laughs> Singer. I actually quite like her and I think she has a gorgeous voice. It's quite yeah. a unique sound. Though. I agree. Yeah. So that production received seven Drama Desk Award nominations and it won the Outer Critics Circle Award for Outstanding Off-Broadway Musical. Also, Raoul won an Obie Award for his performance. So out of seven Drama Desk Award nominations, it didn't win any, which I think is a bit... Oh. Yeah, boo. I know. What the hell? And some other productions, there was a 2003 American National Tour. There was a 2005 London premiere at the Menier. Uh, Menier. I, I can never say it. Yeah. Why? Dumb. The Men- the Meniere Chocolate Factory. <laughs> I'll just say it however I want. That one starred Neil Patrick Harris. Yes, I didn't know that. As John. He did quite cool. a few shows over there before. Like, because Neil Patrick Harris had this weird, like, pause in his career between yeah. Doogie Howser and, like, How I Met Your Mother. Yeah. Where he, because he always loved musical theatre, he wanted to go into it. And it was kind of like, like, he did Rent on, yeah. he was market Rent. I think he did that first in London as well. Imagine how weird it would be, like, because... He's obviously quite a famous star now, but if you were like going to rent and you were like, oh, is that Doogie Howser? Yeah. So weird. But yeah, he did quite a few musicals in that and particularly yes. in London it was weird. Just so you know, the yes, tell best me. performance by a leading actor in a musical in 2007 of the Tony Awards was David Hyde Pierce in Curtains. Oh, okay. He also beat – Not Ral. He also beat Michael Cerverus in Love Music. You know the – Oh, um, yeah. Is it Brecht? Kurt yeah. Vile? Kurt Vile. Yeah. Sorry, not, not Brecht. Brecht. God, what am I talking about? Um, I'm thinking of – Well, Brecht. German. Um, Raul, as we said, Jonathan Groff in Spring Awakening and Gavin oh, Lee wow. in Mary Poppins. That's a starry year. That's a big year. Yeah. And big, like good – not just stars but good performances yeah. by all those dudes. I agree. Jeez. Poor Raul. I think he deserved it. But anyway, 
what do I know? So <laughs> after that London premiere starring Neil Patrick Harris, then it, it premiered on the West End in 2009 at the Duchess Theatre. Okay. Then 2014 there was an encores performance. Yes. Featuring Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yes. As John. It also had Leslie Odom Jr. Did you know, know that as I Michael? Did. Yeah, and Karen Olivo as yeah, Susan. Olivo, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's there's lots of recordings of them doing that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not sure about casting Lynn yeah, as look, John. Like he's probably not quite a good enough singer. Let's no, be honest. No, that's but, right. But um, I just love. He's him. He's so sweet. I love him. Yeah, and you want to give him a go. Good on him. Okay, and there was also a 2016 Off Broadway revival starring George Salazar. Yep. Who we love from Be More Chill. Yep. Sings the shit out of Michael in the bathroom. Doesn't he though? Oh like, God, I holy love him. shit. That one, that off Broadway revival, only ran for three months. That's not, that's not too bad. Not too bad. Yeah. Whatever. There's also, so the very first Australian professional production, which I obviously unsuccessfully auditioned for. Did you? Um, yeah. I yeah, was, talk I had about quite it. Quite a few callbacks for Susan. I was too young. Like, I actually was. I was like 19. <laughs> it was the first pro-production in Australia. It starred Tyron Park as John, oh, who we love. I knew Tyron had done it. I didn't realise that was like the first. Yeah. That was at the Parade Theatre at NIDA. Oh, okay. And um, Monique Sal, who we were talking about um, a while ago, her yeah. sister choreographed it, I believe, okay. Simone. Yeah. yeah. It was a really great production and I was bummed that I didn't get into it. Whatever. <laughs> Why didn't we see it? Why didn't we what? Didn't see it? I didn't see it. No, I didn't either. I didn't get tickets. Like it was, it was only on for one week. Wow. At neither. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's a shame because yeah. I think Tyrone would have been awesome as John. Yeah, he would have been great. So I'm nearly done. I promise. Very excitingly, a film version was announced in 2018. Yes. yes. It's being produced by Ron Howard yeah. but directed by Lin-Manuel. I know. He loves that show. He loves that show. It's also written, like the screenplay is written by Stephen Levinson who yeah. wrote Dear Evan Hansen but also like Lin and Stephen together were sort of responsible for Fosse Verdon. Yeah. And and he's do, he, so – not Lynn, but Stephen Levinson Stephen is doing Levinson. the fiddle, the new Fiddler film with yes. Tommy Kale, That's who's right. also on Fosse Verdon. <laughs> yeah, like there's yeah. lots of crossovers. Lots of, yeah, <laughs> lots of yeah, they're like a little posse. Um, so yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. We've heard that the film is going to be more true to the original rock monologue rather mm, than to the three hander by David Auburn. Like Lynn was sort of quoted as saying he wanted to sort of get back to its original roots. Yeah, like there'll still be other actors, so it's not just going to be one actor. But yeah, I think. I don't know how they're going to do that. But anyway, it's um, Lin-Manuel's feature directing debut. Yeah, did you know that? I did. It's so Netflix have actually don't, bought it. Don't underestimate my nerdiness about <laughs> Miranda. Well, I think I was more talking to them. You know, <laughs> you know those people. Netflix have bought it. Production began in March 2020. It's obviously been halted because of COVID. Yeah. Um, but it stars Andrew Garfield as John. I love Andrew Garfield. Who I adore. Yeah. But wait for this. This is the big one. Yeah. I've put it in capital letters on my notes. <laughs> Bradley Whitford as Stephen Sondheim. Oh. So. Oh, that's something I didn't know. This is so very niche. I you can have see to be. That, you have to be an incredible fan of The West Wing to know, or Billy Madison to know who <laughs> Bradley Whitford is. He is Josh Lyman in The West Wing. Or well, The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's been in that recently. He was also in um, Get Out, that film. Yes. Um, that awesome film. He's You would know his face definitely, but he's amazing. He's from the West Wing and the West Wing's perfect obviously. Plus you combine that with Sondheim. So now we've got this amazing marriage of West Wing and Sondheim 
And tick, tick, boom. Me very happy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm super pumped for that. I love that Sondheim is a character in this film. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I guess he was a mentor of yeah. Larson. So He's also sense. mentioned very often yeah. in the musical. So, okay, so Gateway Songs. I think this was actually a really hard one. I think the opening, which is called 3090, yep, I'd agree I think with that. that's a really good place to start. Yeah. So I think if you listen to that, also listen to See Her Smile and Come to Your Senses. Okay. I think they're the three that should be your gateway. Yeah. I mean, I would have said louder than words. Yeah, so I've actually said that. I think those three that I've mentioned, you'll get a really nice sense of the show. However, I think Sunday is a really great song. If you're already a fan of Sunday in the Park with George, louder than words is great. And it's sort of like... It's a really lovely trio, like beautiful yeah. harmonies for the three voices in there. And we've also previously talked about therapy, but it's a really hilarious patter song. Yeah. That's very enjoyable. Yeah. There's like, there are beautiful songs in the show, yeah. honestly, but I think See Her Smile is probably one of my favorite musical theater songs, like of all time, actually. Interesting. It's so beautiful. And yeah. in this, like in the um, original off Broadway cast recording, it's, um, it's just accompanied by like a guitar. So it's really beautiful because the rest of the show is quite rocky and this is just like almost an acoustic guitar and Raoul's beautiful voice. Oh, he's so beautiful. Yeah, so that that's it. That's tick, comma, tick, ellipsis, boom, exclamation point. So interestingly, you didn't mention it, but Why is one of my most favourite musical theatre songs of all time. Is it really? It really is. Well, it makes me cry. Interestingly, Why, and I didn't mention this, but it features like a lot of homage to a lot of other yeah. like musicals. Like it's got West Side Story stuff in it. It's got Mary Poppins stuff in it. It's, it's literally, I just think for me, it's a song about falling in love with doing like in that case specifically like community theater yeah and that thing of yeah just like doing it with like friends and that becoming your family and yeah I just I think I have that real connection to it yeah Yeah, it is funny like because I was thinking about this as I was looking at the list of songs from the show because I agree I think why is stunning but for some reason when I first got this cast recording so many years ago, you just fixate on a couple of songs. Mm. And so then, like, particularly when you're younger, you just listen to, say, maybe three of your favourites over and over and then they just become your favourites. Yeah. So I think for me that's why those songs are the best ones in the show. Yeah. It's not because why is not good. It's just that I used to just listen to See Her Smile on repeat <laughs> and cry. Yeah. <laughs> like, like the loser I am. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. So that's it. That's amazing. That's tick, tick, boom. Tick, tick, boom. I yeah. love tick, tick, boom. I think I've pretty, never seen it. I think it's still pretty niche. Well, I mean, this is the thing, and I realise this, I'll get into my show in a second, but it's a kind of a similar vintage. Really? And it's like, it's kind of like, these are the shows that were the nerdy shows when we were teenagers. That's the thing. Yeah. And, these and, are the, like, and so they feel niche then. because it's like, well, yeah, like the kids these days aren't listening to them. Like people in their 30s, if they were musical theatre nerds, yeah. might know them. But I do think that kids these days should listen to these shows Definitely. though because they're very good. Tick, Tick, Boom I think is particularly accessible. It's very accessible, yeah. more so than Rent. I yeah, reckon. like like if you're just listening, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah definitely, definitely. And there's Raoul. Like, Raul, oh, sweet Raoul. What do you want? Come back to Broadway, Raoul. Oh. Anyway, so this week I am doing – Tell me. The Wild Party. <gasps> Wait, which one? Andrew Lipper. Of course. Yes. Imagine if you didn't say Lipper. I know. You would have been like. I would have thrown the egg shaker at your <laughs> yeah, head. And then walked out the room. <laughs> Just left. 
So the wild party, when I wrote down like my connection to the show slash why it's been selected, I just wrote in capital letters, this score slaps. Yeah, it really does slap. <laughs> I it. love that. That's it. It just fucking slaps. It is amazing. It's so hot. It's so hot. Yeah, it's sexy. Yeah. So sexy, sexy as, jazzy, So delicious. much brass, so much like jazz. Yeah. So it's so hot. Are anyway. you going to talk about the fact that there's two versions? Oh, I'm the... going to talk so much about it. Okay, that. all right. I'm going to shut up. Okay. So the wild, Andrew Lipper's The Wild Party. <laughs> so book, music and lyrics by Andrew Lipper. Yes. Which I actually didn't realise before but doing this. Would you say book because like the play existed? So, okay. So I'll get into that. Yeah, okay, it's, sorry. Well, what I will tell everyone is that it's based on a long narrative poem mm. by Joseph Moncure March that was, written, that was released in 1928. Right, so yes, I would still say. Um, well, like you still have to turn a long form like, poem into a script, and in fact, right? not even all of the not even all the lyrics are from the poem. It's yes. not like it's not like Cats, for no. example, which is literally like <laughs> setting T. S. Eliot's <laughs> poems to music. Right, it's like no, they've changed. Like they've written lyrics. It was actually the first time Andrew Lipper had ever written lyrics. Nice. Uh, for those you who did don't well. know, <laughs> yeah. For those who don't know, Andrew Lipper, the shows that you might know him from, um, Josephine talked about you're a good man charlie brown yeah, um some episodes man. ago and he wrote the the charlie few brown. new songs for the my revival. new philosophy and beethoven day yeah and i think rewrote the opening yeah just a little yeah it was all like he did lots of new arrangements yeah. for all the songs yeah. um and then other shows you might know you might know the adams family musical i love that musical oh, do you i do i think it's got issues but i like it like i've got issues and you still like me <laughs> I love you. <laughs> oh, yay. Um, he also wrote the Big Fish musical, which <gasps> you love. I'll be talking about yeah, that. Yeah, you love that show. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so you might know him from various shows. And, in fact, A Little Princess, which I literally texted Josephine during the week. I was like, have you listened to the musical version of A Little Princess? Because Yes, this that. book was, like, very formative for me as well. It was a big deal for me, that yeah, book. Yeah. I didn't even know there was a musical. The thing that confused me was on Spotify it said the – um, original Broadway cast recording. It wasn't on Broadway. No. Because I was like, how have I never heard of this Broadway show of A Little Princess? It wasn't on Broadway. Do you think that if I released a CD, I could just call it the original Broadway cast yeah, recording? Yeah, let's just do it. Especially on Spotify. Obviously, they don't fucking care. Um, so, yeah, so it's based on this, like, long narrative poem. So, literally, this poem is out of copyright. You can Google the Wild Party um, poem and you will find it online. It is very long. I love that name, <laughs> The Wild Party. Yeah, same. Sounds wild. So, we're in the Roaring Twenties. It's set in the Roaring Twenties. And basically it is essentially about a bunch of people working in vaudeville who are drinking heavily, taking a They're lot of having drugs. Having a wild party. Having a lot of sex. Yeah. Like that is essentially where we're at. Yeah. And and it, and we're introduced That's to a whole – That's why you love it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> whole cast of characters. I don't even drink and, you know. Um, um, it's just a whole cast of characters basically like that you might find at this sort of party yeah, in the 20s. Yeah. Um, but our main focus is on um, – uh, the protagonist Queenie, um, who is a vaudeville dancer, her lover B- Burrs. Yes, her lover Burrs, who's a clown, a vaudeville clown, and sort of this new man who's entered the party that um, they don't know previously, named Mr. Black. Yeah. Um, and it's essentially like a love triangle between the three of them. Was Mr. Black Tay Diggs? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, and. It's sort of like this love triangle happens over the course of the evening, essentially. Mm. Um, we know that Burrs is like 
a violent, abusive. volatile, abusive man, like that sort of setup. As all clowns are, right? <laughs> That's right. Am I right? Am I right? <laughs> uh, so basically, like during the course of the evening, lots of people are trying to seduce other people. They're making people jealous, and uh, as it gets more and more like hedonistic, and eventually that all turns to violence. So wait, it's all set in one night? But yeah, essentially, cool. like it's like they decide to have the party. And and then we're at the party, basically. Yeah, cool. I and like then that. it's like the that night and then the next morning and that's it. This like the moments in the party just remind me of the Great Gatsby party. Like yeah. it's very similar in terms of like very similar hedonism. You yes, know? exactly. Yeah. So yeah, so all that kind of boils up and it turns to violence and basically uh at you know, during this it boils to a point where Burrs is eventually killed and um Mr. Black flees in case he gets sent to jail, basically or Sorry, it would be executed at that time for mm. killing Burrs. So at the end of the show, Queenie is left alone. Yeah. And that's sort of how it ends. So it's a um, ripper of a story. Okay. I'm gonna go back and now talk about these two different musicals because this is important. <laughs> it's so important. It's insane it's random. that this is a thing. Okay. Yeah. So basically there are two wild party musicals, both based on the same poem. narrative poem from 1928 and both were released in the same season yeah. in New York. Yeah. So there's this one by Andrew Lippert and there's, there's another one by Michael John Lacusa which played on Broadway the that same season. This played off-Broadway. I think that is the biggest issue that I have. Yes. Is that the, the Lacusa? Lacusa, yeah. I can't talk today. The Lacusa <laughs> got to go to Broadway and this one didn't. I know. Wrong. Which I think was more to do with probably, uh, look, a couple of things. It was always just slated to go straight to Broadway. Yeah. Um, and whereas this was basically doing an off-Broadway tryout, yeah. you know, at the at a non-profit theatre before, you know, yeah. they were deciding if a commercial run was sort of worth it. Mm. Um, so... Neither composer knew the other one was working on it sort of until they were both announced. Jeez. And they were both backed by – so um, the this Lippers Wild Party was done by Manhattan Theatre Cl- Company uh, – Manhattan Theatre Club, sorry, um, which is like a non-profit um, theatre company. And then the Broadway, the Lacusa one, was uh, like the public theatre, like Joe Pat, like Chorus Line, Hamilton yes. Public Theatre. Yep. So they're both done by like New York non-profits and yet – like they didn't know the other. They was didn't doing know the it. other was doing it. A musical based on literally the same. Guys, source talk material. to each other, please. So, um, the it seems that the reason that they both had the same idea is that an illustrated book version of the poem was released in like the late nineties, and that oh. I guess was sort of popular. Mm. Um, and they'd both gotten a copy of that book at some stage. Both of the composers, um, both shows start with the same line, which is the first line of the poem which is queenie was a blonde and her age stood still and she danced twice a day in vaudeville yeah um but they're very different shows um aside from that so yeah so there's some really interesting but like isn't that insane like yeah yeah so insane so um so it ran off broadway at the manhattan theater club from january 25th to april 9th 2000 uh for 54 performances uh, it starred Julia Murney um, as Queenie, Brian Darcy James as Burrs, Tay Diggs as Mr. Black and Adina Menzel as Kate, who's one of the other uh, main characters. Um, the other Wild Party played Broadway, as I said, but mm. it flopped. It got bad reviews and it flopped and yeah. it played the same amount of performances. Even though Delicious Mandy was in it. Yes. Um, Mandy. And Tony Collette. Eartha Kitt. Yeah. Like it had a kind of an insane cast as it well. It was insane, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, in the end, it played the same amount of performances. This Wild Party actually didn't get very good reviews either. Um, no, it didn't, did it? No, it didn't. I read some of them and it was basically like, 
it, it was kind of like, yeah, the score's good. Like the score is very melodic, I think, which is the thing that I really related to. I'm not a huge fan of the Lacusa show. It's actually, I have seen mm. the Lacusa musical on stage and I haven't seen Andrew Lipper. Yeah. So I saw it at the St. James Theatre in London. They did like, uh, um, like an off West End production, what, maybe two years ago, three years ago now. Um, and um, uh, Francis Raffel was Queenie and um, Michael Ball was Burr's. You and your Michael Ball. Right? He's um, so bad. I like Francis Ruffell. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with I that. I think she's cool. That egg shake but I just only for Michael I didn't Ball. really care for the show, to be honest. No, it's – I think it's just like, eh. I, do you like any of his other shows, Lacusa? Uh, let me think. Probably not really, like, yeah, passionately. Like First Lady Suite and, like, um, uh, Giant is another show of his. I think, like, because I've listened to all of them and I think they're okay. Yeah, I find him, like, a little bit. It's almost like too cerebral. Yes, I 100% agree. And that is sort of the line that people draw between these two versions is that the Lacusa one is, yeah, just much, maybe a bit too clever for its own good. The Lipper one is just for dum-dums, right? (laughs) Well, I fucking, I'm I'm the same. I'm there. I'm there. (laughs) So um, in terms of like other productions that they've been of the Lipper version, um, so Encores Off Centre did it in 2015, in July 2015, and that starred Sutton Foster as Queenie, um, Stephen Pasquale as um, Burrs, and Brandon Victor Dixon as Black. I have to tell you this secret that I have a huge crush on Stephen Pasquale. Why is that a secret? Well, because Shane can't know. Oh, really? Well, I think actually Stephen Pasquale looks a lot like my husband. You said this in another episode. (laughs) Oh, no, it's not a secret I think, anymore. I think you're just trying to, like, secret it into being. Yeah, maybe. No, he actually does. Oh, no, I can see it. I can see it. Yeah. And Shane's much better looking. <laughs> There's no doubt. Stephen Pasquale, oh, my God. We've talked about him before, but, oh, I love him so much. Yeah. Um, his voice, my goodness. There's some YouTube clips of that production. Um, oh, nice. Like, just, like, like, little, like, promo things. How was Sutton Foster in there? Can't yeah, good. I heard energy. that she was, at, like, a little bit miscast people felt I think she would be um, yeah I don't think that's like I love I think her. she would have acted it well I just I think actually vocally it might have been a little She's, bit wrong her, her voice is just too brassy too yeah like too bright too music theater yeah yeah um so interestingly for that production 2015 like a new opening and closing number were put in Ooh. and they like yes yeah, so they actually made quite a few changes for that production that's cool um and uh they yeah, so th- th- apparently like the the main thing was sort of really making it clear that like Queenie was a vulnerable a woman, <laughs> sorry, a vulnerable woman caught in a bu- in an abusive relationship. Yeah. Like they really sort of made that clear. Mm. Um, it, yeah, I thought the original intention was more that it was like this, like awfully destructive. I know that she, yeah, she was abused, but it was more like symbiotic. So yeah, I feel like the original was sort of more like that. Yeah, well, I think they wanted to steer away from that. Okay, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Um. So, uh, some fun facts: the Andrew Lipper first met Julia Murney, who played Queenie, in 1996 when he was the musical director of a Stephen Schwartz review. Um. And he, and so this is like four years before they end up, you know, doing it properly. And he literally like wrote on his notes like is she Queenie? Like, <laughs> like he just like saw her in a, in yeah. an audition and just like, Oh, she's fabulous. So I love her. So Julia Manny, I think is quite um, divisive for some people. And, and really? also I, I feel like a lot of our younger listeners especially wouldn't really know who she is. Cause no. it's not like she's on that many like cast recordings or anything. She's not. And she was known for a long time as the Broadway actress who had never appeared on Broadway mm. because she would be in all these like charity concerts and things like that. But actually she hadn't been on Broadway. So her Broadway debut was in 2000. Five wow. as Elphaba. She was an Elphaba. She was like one of the 
But um, she's so good. Yeah, she's so good. I love her. Yeah, she's world class. Yeah, one of the great things she does, and like, you know, this is a real testament to how great she is. She has this shotgun vibrato, by the way, that I'm obsessed with. Mm. Um, but yeah, she was is they did a funny girl charity concert, like, you know, 20 years ago or whatever, where like a different woman played Fanny Bryce for every song. Nice. And she gets to do people and she <gasps> sings the shit out of it. It's on YouTube. Nice. Um I hate that song. People. Yeah. Do you? Yeah, it's my most hated song from that show. Okay, we're going to watch it after this. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, the cast, it, it seems that there was this real thing of like, hey, like is this show still going to get to go to Broadway? But clearly because the other show um, mm. was there, like, it, you know, it How didn't really it? work. Yeah. So the entire off-Broadway cast of The Wild Party like went to the Dominican Republic together after this closed because it was like, well, if we're not going to get to go to Broadway, we're going on a fucking holiday. That's awesome. So they all went to the Dominican Republic together and they were th- together when the other Wild Party, because it opened like a month after they did. Yeah. So they were there when it, when it opened on Broadway and they were just like, they saw the reviews and they were like, oh, that's a shame. Because they also didn't want it to do badly. No, you don't want anything um, to do but, badly. And then they were just like, right, that's it. We're, we're in the Dominican Republic. We're going to have a good time. Yeah. Let's not think about it again. So I love that. Um, my uh, So Brian Darcy James, who played Birds, who I also love. Yeah, I love this him. This is my Brian Darcy James story. So He's perfect. He is perfect. Um, you might know him as the voice of Shrek or yeah. um, something else. But, yeah. He's um, – Oh, the young ones will know him as Hannah Baker. Oh, 13 Reasons Father Why. Father 13 Reasons yeah, Why. Yeah, I haven't yeah. watched that show. He was also in Spotlight. Yeah, he's like the only non-celebrity in Spotlight. He's a celebrity. <laughs> he's a celebrity in our Not like eyes. a huge movie star though. So in like 2015 um, – Andrew and I went and saw his like solo show at 54 Below. Nice. And the way that 54 Below is it has like kind of like little banquet seating. So we were with other people that we didn't know, right? Mm. And we got to talking to them as you often do in those things. And it was actually his musical director like who was playing up there was his wife, Mm. the musical director's wife. So we started talking to her and whatever and we were all chatting. And then like at the end of the show, like we're still chatting and Brian Darcy James comes over. Because the musical director had come over by that stage. We met him. We're chatting to him. Um, you know, he's super talented. And then like Brian Darcy James comes over and like just assumes that we're friends of theirs. And so introduces himself to Andrew and I. (laughs) He's like, I'm Brian. And you're like, yeah, sorry, what was your name? (laughs) It's like we've just watched his show. Like as if like they've just brought us as guests. Like it's like, no, 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 we 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 pay good money to come and see you. And also we're from Australia. Oh wow. (laughs) Anyway, he's the loveliest. He does strike me as being super nice. He was so lovely. What a versatile performer. Oh, so versatile. And like such a good, like just like legit actor as well. Totally. Well, when you see him in spotlight, he's like a proper chameleon too. Yeah, I agree. I'm a bit obsessed. Um, so uh, the original poem was written in 1926, but it didn't get published in the, until 1928 due to its it was, risque nature. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. It's all about so sex and basically lesbians. Basically, like, and... Simon of Simon & Schuster was going to publish it, but was scared off by a letter from the head of the New York Society for Suppression of Vice, threatening <laughs> to jail him if he published the piece. <laughs> the suppression of vice. Yeah. Fuck that Because this is shit. like, you know, prohibition, like yeah. it's all that stuff. Oh, yeah. man. Um, interestingly, Joseph Moncure March, who wrote the poem, he was the first ever managing editor of The New Yorker. Oh, wow. Yeah, isn't that cool? And, That's cool. And he then like sort of had a bit of a career in film, like in Hollywood, and he turned Howard Hughes's um, Hell's Angel film Hell's Angels film into a talkie um, and <laughs> therefore coined the phrase, excuse me while I put on something more comfortable. Wow. Which is like a famous, you know, movie line. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, so that's cool. Yeah, I thought that was kind of a random little cool huh. fact. Um, yeah, so Andrew Lippert, do you, I think, I, well, you love Big Fish. I think this is his strongest score, personally. I love Big Fish so yeah. much. I really do. But no, I probably agree with that. Yeah. But also, like, it, it's, yeah, I don't know. So, my feeling about this show, and I would love to see it, it just doesn't get done. And I, I, from what my research, I, can see that you can do license it in other countries. Like I think you can license it in America, but like it just doesn't exist in Australia to license. Like, no, really? Yeah. Well, I think this is why we don't get to see it. Like I think that there are just certain restrictions for other countries. Probably like that. That's not the version of the wild party you can do in this country, kind of thing. It's so that's rude. what that's what that's what I assume. I mean, why else can't we do it? Yeah. Do you know what I controversially don't mind is John and Jen. Yeah, yeah. Andrew did the sound for like one of the first Sydney productions of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I haven't really listened to it, to be honest. It's not bad. Yeah. It's not bad at all. Yeah, that was his first show. Yeah, that was his very first. Yeah. But no, I uh, do love Big Fish. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so um, Wild Party, I think the thing is that possibly it's maybe like a bit too much the same high energy level the entire show if you're watching it as a show. I think it'd be too much. Because like listening to it, I'm like, this score is amazing. Why doesn't this show get done? There must be something that is stopping it from being more popular getting yeah. done because the, the the cast recording is incredible. It's incredible, yeah. yeah. It's I would say almost flawless. Like yeah. apart from Adina Menzel, although in Life of the Party she's – like killing it. I, I, I honestly like. I think we've talked about this in a mixtape. Like, it's the best she's ever sounded. That show. Ever. I love her other song as well. Look at me now is also yes. a great song. It's like this just really works for her. Yeah. But everyone else is just so good. So good. And yeah. the like the orchestrations are so good. Anyway, I don't understand. I don't. I don't know why it doesn't get done. If you know why it doesn't get done, please write to me because mm. I don't know. So gateway songs. Um, I would say um a wild wild party, which oh, is yeah. like you know the. The, the party song, basically. Yeah. And that um, sort of repeats a bit, doesn't it? There's a lot yeah, of reprises of yeah. that. Yeah. Um, Life of the Party, as we mentioned, is yes. um, Idina Menzel's That's um, act, big song. Act two opening? I think it m- might be. Yeah, I yeah. think it is. I think it is. Um, I also love an old-fashioned love story. Oh, me too. Yeah, which is like this kind of little character song, um, you know, basically it's like um Isn't it like lesbian a washed-up lesbian? Who, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and she's just kind of like hitting on people and yeah. just wants to find someone. And I like, maybe I like it this way. Oh yeah. That's a good song. Yeah. And, and the other one I love is raise the roof. Oh, I think yeah. that's another good, because like, I'm um, out of the blue and raise like all those ones at the beginning are all kind of good introduction songs. Yeah. But um, I think raise the roof has just got a great kind of spirit to it. So those are my gateway songs. Uh, that original cast recording is the only cast recording. It is available on Spotify. Yeah. If you but they're both available on Spotify. They are. The... If you want to listen to look, you just have a, a wild party day yeah, and see what nuts. you think. But, oh, I much prefer this version. Oh, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Do you think we'll ever talk about the Lacusa? No, it? not no. for me. I don't think so either. I couldn't even tell you. Like, I haven't even really listened to it that much. There'll definitely be more Andrew Lippa for your ears, though. Yeah, you love Big Fish. Love Big Fish. Yeah. I really don't mind the Adams Family at all. Yeah, I saw Adams Family on Broadway and I um, wasn't a fan, but it got changed quite a bit when yes. it went on tour. And having seen an amateur production since, I did prefer that version to yeah. the Broadway version that I saw. I think it's just an infinitely enjoyable show. Yeah, I saw Brooke Shields in it on Broadway. Oh, no. Yeah. Jeez. Yes. Is she like a talent in terms of the voice? She's not great. No. Yeah. I didn't think so. But Nathan Lane. <gasps> Nathan. Yeah. I love Nathan Lane. I mean, who doesn't? The Birdcage is probably one of my favorite films it's of all time. It's a great film. Yeah. If you haven't seen The Birdcage out there, yeah, stop, like, stop this. It. Stop it now. 
Yeah. Go watch it. Uh, that's The Wild Party. I loved that. Thank Had you. a wild time. We're, we're, we're all about the off-Broadway shows this week. Yeah. yeah. It's not all about Broadway all the time. No. That's our theme today. Off-Broadway. Off-Broadway. <laughs> Accidental um, theme. Thanks for listening, everyone. Oh, is that it wherever? Right. I don't know. Well, we've sure. got anything else to talk about? No, no. <laughs> this has been my favourite musical, the podcast. Yeah, please um, like on Instagram. Please give us a five-star rating. Maybe leave a comment. If you if you have, like, issues or we need to apologise for something, you can yeah, send. tell us. Yeah, please tell, tell us. us if we're wrong. Oh, please. Go I nuts. like being told I'm wrong. Um, I don't know how you can contact us yet. We'll work on we'll that. We'll work on that. If nothing else, through Instagram. Just find us on Instagram. Yeah, just message me. Or like me. Spotify. Is that a way you could? No, I'm can you kidding. Com- no. no you Imagine can't. if you could. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Ruth. Bye. Bye. Bye.